Tanya Baldy with you, Baldy Reports. With me is my great, good friend and co-host, Joe Bitts. And how's it going, Big Joe? Great, John. What are you doing for Memorial Day? Actually, not Memorial Day. You said something about the day before Memorial Day. Well, the day, day before Memorial Day. I have to work uh, Saturday, and I have to work Memorial Day. But Sunday is I go to church, yeah. and Sunday I'm going to wear my dress blue uniform uh, just to kind of commemorate and remember those lives that were lost fighting for our country and the freedom that we enjoy. And most people in my church here in Tampa have it, never really seen me in my uniform. Yeah, dress blues are more like the, they're the ultimate, I guess, and it's not, maybe a little sacrilegious to say this in church, they're the panty droppers of all uniforms. You know it. And I just, I think that's what kind of drew me to the military or to the Marine Corps. Okay, we could probably talk about this a little bit. So in the beginning, my buddy, his father was a SEAL. I think he was a SEAL in Vietnam, and we would play Navy SEAL when we were kids. So I had this ambition of going into the Navy and then going into the SEAL training program. I didn't know how it worked at all. I was just like this young kid. And then I think around my junior, senior year, I started getting really into weightlifting. And I would see this one guy powerlifting, and he was just like straight up intense and stuff like that. And he had his hair cut, and we would just be BSing in the, in the locker room. And here I am, like this 16, 17-year-old kid, and here he is. This, and he's, what are you planning on doing after high school? I said, I think, well, I want to go to the Navy. He goes, Navy? Why do you want to go to the Navy? I was like, well, I think about being a SEAL. He goes, look, you either pick two military branches. One's the easiest, one's the hardest. Easiest is the Air Force. The hardest is the Marine Corps. Which one are you going to do? I was like, I think I'm going to be a Marine. <laughs> high school, they let the recruiters in. And I'm walking by, and I just see this guy just decked out in this awesome uniform. And I was like, this guy looks pretty good. And he's, I'm like, what brands of service? He's like, Marines. I was like, sign me up, buddy. So how did you come about? Into I was in junior military. I was a sea cadet, which is a naval sea cadet. And everybody, it's like being in the reserves. You do a weekend a month. And yeah. You do, we went to a two-week boot camp when I was 14. Okay. And then you go on Navy or Coast Guard ships. Okay. And I initially, one, I, the reason I didn't join the Navy, because I get seasick too easy. <laughs> when every time I was on a ship, I had to get outside to get fresh air. It's just that diesel fuel, that stale air always gets me. Yeah. But I initially had enlisted in the Army. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And the Army was promised me a lot. And then they promised me to become an MP. They couldn't produce, so I said, I want out. No, my dad asked me, do you really want to join the Army? Yeah. And I go, not really. Okay. He goes down, calls recruiter. I'm pulling parental consent. I was still 17. Oh, okay. So he pulls parental consent. And then about two weeks later, I get a call from the recruiter. It's about 930 in the morning. And he goes, where are you at? What do you mean where I'm at? I'm at home. You're supposed to be in boot camp. Uh -huh. No, I'm not. So my dad goes down, and they had a very shady office. They had brought in a sergeant first class to clean it up. And he told them, we got a problem. He goes, no, we don't have a problem. You have a problem. <laughs> and they pulled parental consent, and out I went. And then two weeks later, I joined the Marines. And how fast were you after that? Well, that was July of 82. Okay. And then you go to the late entry program, and then I went to boot camp December 7th, 1982. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of just, that was like the, I guess, the the spark or the, but I always kind of, I was like the kid that I always watched like these action movies and stuff like that. I always think I had like a leadership role or I wanted to, I always had, I think there's like this natural ability to be a leader. Like you take charge and I, I see it a little bit in my kids. 
But see, for me, when I joined the Marines, everybody told my parents, oh, he's never going to make it. And the reason is I was never big and muscular. I was just always this tall, lengthy, skinny kid. Yeah. And to this day, I'm tall, lengthy, and skinny Mm -hmm. or slender. So they kept telling my parents, he'll never make it. He'll never make it. I I made it. Yeah, I was also motivated. I had a buddy, I guess he was a grade higher than me, and he went to boot camp, and he tapped out after a month and a half. And he came back, and I was, remember I was working, and a buddy of ours was like, hey, or, yeah, his name was Steve. He's like, hey, Steve is coming back. He didn't make boot camp. And that kind of just motivated me more to be like, oh, I could do this, kind of thing like that. So I guess there was like. My motivation wasn't that. Maybe it's the basic motivation. My motivation is I didn't want to let my parents down. So every time I did something, I kept thinking in the back of my mind, my parents are going to kick my ass if I come back home. And I would have told them if they would have sent me home. Yeah. I would have said, can I pick another city? I was literally, I just didn't want to disappoint my parents. I Mine was a little bit different than yours. Mine was to prove my parents wrong. I was, I wouldn't say I wasn't sheltered, but I was easygoing. I never had any, any turmoil or I didn't have anything bad or anything traumatic happen to my life until, I don't know, until I was in there for 10 years, I got blown up. That was like the only traumatic thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Never broke a bone, maybe a car accident here and there. But I think I was maybe in a sense, my parents thought I was sheltered because I was just like this lazy old kid. I was this lazy kid, didn't want to make my bed, didn't want to clean my room, all this kind of BS. And my my mother, she got upset with me. She's like, how can you make it through boot camp? You can't even make your own bed. That was like, I remember that line like specifically. My dad, on the other hand, he didn't want me to go in, not because he didn't think I was going to make it. He was actually all set up to get to put me through college if that was the route I wanted to go. Okay. Or trade. Something was just calling me to the military. His problem was that he had friends who had kids go into the military and come back all messed up, whether from like extreme drug use or just something like of an addiction because... When did you join the Marines? I joined in the 90s. Okay. But like he probably had some of his friends' kids go through like in the 80s or 70s. I would think more in the 70s because when I joined in 82, prior to that, in the latter days of Carter administration in the first early days of the Reagan administration, they put drug, drugs were rampant in the 70s. Yeah. Then they started to do urinalysis tests. So I think, I think they were still big. Weren't there at times, there wasn't there legends like the OD, the officer on duty would have be carrying a sidearm? That was, okay, that was in the 70s. That was in the, after Vietnam, like 74 to 77, some of the like, that yeah. was in that period. But when I first came in, you were taking urinalysis tests all the time. Yeah. But maybe just maybe from the perspective that from my 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 father's perspective was that these people were getting messed up or had drug problems afterwards and they were they were thinking it contributed to the military service. Now, a lot of things that I saw. Okay, by the time I came in '82, we had a lot of we had a few Marines get kicked out for urinalysis. At that time, if you got tested positive for the first time. They took some stripe. They took a stripe, some money. You got EP, extra working details, and puts on restriction. The second time, you were almost automatically, it was a rare instance, they would hold you for a third time. Yeah. So second strike, you were gone. Definitely a third strike, you were gone. Then when the Gulf War happened and we came back out and then they went down to the reduction of the military, 
the, at least the Marines, I think the Army and the other branches were no different. They had to do it. They did it by attrition. So what they did is if you tested positive on a urinalysis test, you were automatically discharged out. Yeah, zero tolerance. It was zero tolerance. Now, the other problem that I saw, it depends where you were at. I knew a lot of Marines that I graduated boot camp with. They went to Marine Barracks, Subic Bay. Okay. Both of them, that, or at least a couple of them that I knew, came back alcoholics. Because you go out in the Subic Bay, it was like a free-for-all. You can drink as much as you want, and they yep. just probably had a personality or they just couldn't handle being 19 or 18 years old. And you can drink to as, as much as you want it. Well, that was the legend going through Okinawa. When you go to Okinawa, you come back one of two ways. You come back an alcoholic or you come back like super jacked from just lifting weights. And a buddy of mine and I were like the perfect example. He came back an alcoholic and I was just, I was like a massive, almost like 10% or less body fat, just running like it was nothing. That was like the best shape I was ever in in my life was probably Okinawa. See, I went to Okinawa. I'm not going to say I never drank before. I'm not going to say I never got drunk before. And I did get drunk a couple times when I was out there. But I never liked that environment. Meaning I don't like going to clubs. I don't like drinking. It's, it's just that was never part of me. Now when I joined the church that I'm in, we don't drink. So I haven't had a drink of alcohol since 91. My favorite events right now are doing that I see that I'm older is, and we do them together a lot of the times is the networking events. I oh, like yeah, I enjoy that. Yeah, I like an event where you can have a drink. Maybe it's like like a cocktail party yeah, or whatnot. Cash, yeah. yeah, you can have a drink. You would probably have water. With a lemon. With in. a lemon in it. And Aaron's looking nice in a very nice dress. I'm either wearing my blues or like a... Business casual. Yeah, business casual. Or a suit. Which is great. And just talking to somebody. And then after you're done talking with them, they're going to go their way. And you're going to find somebody else to talk to. And it's just a really nice casual event. I think that's... You maybe hit that age. But after you hit you're, the age. But even when I... Before I joined the... And for our listeners' stake, I'm Mormon. I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ. <gasps> okay. I just never liked to drink. Mm -hmm. I didn't like... I used to drink Michelob. After one bottle, everything tastes like stainless steel. <laughs> I just didn't like it. Yeah. I'm not that much of a drinker, I would say. I, okay, I don't drink to get drunk, but I'll have a beer. A social drunk. Tomorrow, if we get Mexican food, I'm going to get a margarita and a beer. Okay. Or, like, my my drink of choice actually is I love Bloody Mary. Yeah, breweries. that's right. I've noticed that. Yeah. You seem to love Bloody Marys. Oh, I remember a few. I remember like a few, the first few episodes that we were doing, and I had a big old bottle of rum, and I'm drinking while we're doing a podcast, and I'm just, and then you're just, you're looking at me like sideways, like what is going on here? And I think that's before I even checked in that you were. I think I had, an, I, I knew you were Mormon, except. I didn't know the rules and regulations to being a Mormon. So, like, me drinking, that's when I was like, hey, is my drinking a problem for you? I get that more and more from people, and I keep telling them, it's by, my choice is to not to drink. Well, That's my choice. Whatever you do, it's up to you. Yeah, so, the thing about drinking, too, is if you say you're not drinking, people want to think you're in either AA and you can't have a drink. So, they're under that stipulation. If I drink, is that going to trigger him to take a well, drink? here's an advantage. When I was in the grocery or the infantry. Everybody found out that I didn't like to, I don't drink. Yeah. And they were laughing at me. Oh, the Mormon, he yeah. doesn't like to drink. Oh, how, can, how can you be a Marine? And then one Marine goes, wait a minute. You don't like to drink? That's right. I don't like to drink. What are we laughing at? We got a designated drunk. <laughs> yeah. Ever since then, we'd go out to these events. I had all this. I don't like drink sodas that much anymore, but 
I could drink any soda. I had all the orange juice. All the food I wanted to eat yeah. and I liked to eat. I had it. And then one time somebody from another unit was laughing at me or causing me, oh, that was it. Yeah. The Marines, didn't, they thought if this guy's uh, causing problems and I don't want to go to these clubs, they're going to have to, they're going to ruin their fun. That was it. Yeah. I thought that guy was going to get his ass kicked. Uh, before we even, like maybe my last story before we started hitting some of these topics. But uh, so I was a D, not a drop. You know, I wasn't the kind of person that I didn't. I don't, it's not that I didn't like drinking. It's that I couldn't afford to drink, but so I would be, I'd be had, the, I'd be the DD though. You were the, you had what? Champagne taste on a beer budget. Yeah, pretty much. But I would just, I would just stick to Coke because at the bars, if you say you're the DD, you get all the free Coke you can drink. Yeah. I did the same thing. And then I realized I goes, Hey guys, I can only drink so much Pepsi. Yeah. Then I started to change it. Can I have an orange juice uh -huh. or can I have a water? So I'm driving the guys back and. One of them, I believe, wasn't wearing their seatbelt in the oh. back. And this is all you have to do is before you go through the gate, just tell the guy to put his seatbelt on. And they're like, they're questioning me. And they're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm the designated driver. I'm driving these guys back to base so they don't drive because they're drunk. And they're like, okay, we're giving you a ticket because that guy's not wearing a seatbelt. I'm like, are you kidding me? So for me, is last story before we move on to our topics. When I was on active duty back in 2012, or one of the officers made it to lieutenant colonel. Yeah. And we have a wedding down ceremony. And what that is, you go to a club, sports bar, wherever you want to go, and you pay the difference between your current rank and your new rank. Yeah. So basically, you go to the bar and you have, let's say, a $500 bar tap. Yeah. So we go to this, and again, I was the designated driver. I had the duty van. Yeah. So we're at this club, and I had the biggest meal I could ever eat. I was at hog heaven. Yeah. Everybody else was drinking. And then the colonel goes, when the waitress came up to him and said, you're at this limit. And they weren't even close to the limit. And he was like, ah, oh, you guys are what, you're not drinking. You're not men. And then they go, okay. So then give me the Johnny Walker red label or yeah. whatever the most expensive. So by this time, they get all liquored up. So then I had to carry everybody out to the van. On your own wedding down party. Well, no, this is his, okay, the colonel's okay. wedding down. Yeah. So I took all, this is all officers. I was the only enlisted. <laughs> I had to bring them all into the van. Yeah. They're all passed out drunk in the van. I get to the gate. I We get to each house. I go knock on the door. I need you. You got your husband here. So I had to carry him in. And I go to the next house. And the next day he goes, did I do anything? I should be worried. Nobody took pictures. Yeah. Nobody took videos. Oh, I can only imagine. I know there's a ton of pictures out there. And I'm like, I don't want to see those. Actually, now I'll put that out there for the listeners. There's a picture of me with a very small Dallas Cowboys t-shirt that's like almost like a belly shirt where it's just like my belly sh showing. So, if I could tr if you could track down that picture, I'll put a, I'll put a $100 bounty on. But this I went to an enlisted one. Yeah. That was worse. Oh, the one crazy. buddy of mine, he picked up master sergeant, mm -hmm. which is 8, and I was in E7. So, he gives me he went to this this was a strictly a bar. Yeah. And he used to be a bouncer there. What kind of clientele you're getting? Yeah. So, he gives me about 500 almost 600 dollars so i would pay the bar tab he and these marines just got done so yeah. i and this guy was about he was huge yeah so he was about 230 so i had to lift him up on my back take him to my car mm. and i didn't have a truck then 
So my car was lower. Get him in, drive him onto the base to his wife's house, or to where he's where he lives with his wife. Yeah. I stayed the night, and the next day he was all thank. You. He was all hung over, and the next day he was all thank you, thank you. I go, hey, I'm making sure you have fun. But so we should get on to the topic. Yeah, because you wanted to talk about COVID. Well, origins of the COVID virus is changed. We did a segment on a previous podcast or two ago on the origins of the COVID. But this one's a little different because at that time, the president wasn't really big on that. Things have changed. There was a former New York Times science editor Hmm. or reporter, and he said there was evidence as of last year, Hmm. early last year, that this wasn't coming from a wet market that got from a bat to another animal to a human or from an animal to a bat, whatever. But it's the interesting thing, even early this week, the president was going to have the World Health Organization conduct the investigation. He said, let's let the international community do it. And literally within a 24-hour period, he changed his tune. And now he's going to, he told the intelligence committee, you have 90 days to give us an assessment of did this virus come? Because there's two probabilities. One problem with circumstantial evidence shows that this came from a lab. Now, we don't have evidence that said this was a biological weapon purposely unleashed on the world by the Chinese. But the more plausible scenario was they were doing something in that lab to show to the world that we're up to the same par of the United States. Yeah dealing with all this and it was just maybe like one of those little accidental leaks well if you look at chernobyl that was the russian nuclear disaster in 1986 the russians did things at chernobyl that would never happen in the west Mm. so what the plausible scenario was something happened at that lab because some doctors got sick yeah and they sick enough they had to get hospitalized this was early in the, excuse me, late 2019, mm-hmm. around um, November. And the, the, the thing is also is that our president among, or okay, our former president and many other outlets were saying this was all, this was created in a lab all along and it was constantly getting shut down, not only by MSNBC and CNN, but it was also like Facebook was jo- having none of us. Jonathan Turley had a segment on well, one of his columns on his blog. He's a constitutional scholar I reference a lot. And he mentioned that Facebook squashed it. They just thought this was conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming back and allowing that there's a plausibility that it could have come out of the lab. Okay, so they're calling, or there's, okay, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul is calling for resignation. Now, just so you know, before you move on with that point you're trying to bring, Rand Paul, I don't, I'm not sure what type of medical doctor he is. but Ophthalmologist? I'm not sure. Rand Paul is a medical doctor. Yeah. So he's been to, so he has knowledge in this type of area. Yeah. And so he's calling Fauci to the carpet, saying that he should resign or he should get fired. First of all, I don't think Fauci can get fired, can he? He works for a government agency, so I think he can get fired. Okay. He wasn't, his is not an appointment yeah. position, but I don't know if his is a civil service position. I would have to look at that. Because Fauci kind of was like, there's no way this thing was created in the lab. And then all of a sudden he's going back on that. He's saying, oh. Well, everybody is. It's just... The thing is with the media is when because Senator Tom Cotton said it back, I think, in April, May, you had others. But because Donald Trump said it, we have to be against what he says. And I think what the, the whole problem is, and this is on everything. 
This is Russian collusion. Yeah. This was, if you remember last year, there was an accusation, and it made it into one of the debates, mm-hmm. like the first debate. When um, the, I'm not sure what news outlet brought it out, they said that Russia provided bounties to the Taliban to kill Marines. Yeah, U.S. CENTCOM commander General McKenzie, who's a Marine himself, said, "I've seen no plausible intelligence that suggests that." Then a month or two ago, they said we didn't have any evidence. We didn't have anything. Remember the Russian collusion narrative. We and the New York Times and the Washington Post both got Pulitzer Prize. The, the the gold medal of journalistic excellence that just makes the Pulitzer Prize Pulitzer Prize crap yeah but so you have all that but they still didn't do their they didn't even they weren't even curious yeah and you're believing the Chinese okay then the other thing is when Joe Biden first becomes president last year President Trump pulled us out of the World Health Organization because hmm. it's been very corrupted because. President Tetros, who's from Ethiopia, is heavily influenced and was gotten his position by the Chinese. Yeah. So we're giving them four hundred thousand dollars, no, four hundred million dollars. China only gives a, a smidgen, but they have this much influence. And the, the beginning of the or the origins of the or, the coronavirus was first brought forward by Taiwan. So what about, and maybe you can look this up, but the correlation between Bill Gates and the World Health Organization. Now, I heard on a few podcasts that he is heavily tied to the World Health, World Health Organization. Now, let's see if someone like you can either confirm that or debunk that. Well, he is involved with, what is it, the Melania, uh, the Melanie, I think his wife's name, or at least his now ex-wife. Until they go through divorce, Melanie and or yeah. Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. Mm-hmm. So they're heavily involved in health organizations around the world. So they're going to have something to do with the World Health Organization. Bill Gates does a lot of things in China. So now the other thing that's interesting, and we still don't know have all the facts, the organization that Dr. Fauci comes from gave money to the Wuhan virus, Wuhan laboratory. Rand Paul was pressing Dr. Fauci on this, and he was he got too specific. Did you donate money to this lab for this purpose? What he should have said, did any money from your organization, I think it's the, what's that organization called? Oh, I can't think of it right now that Fauci's ahead of. He's been there since 1980s. But did any money from your organization, American tax dollars, go to that Wuhan lab for anything? Yeah. That should have been more of the plausible answer. Is that would that question just open the gate a little bit in well, order to look into it more? We just need to know how much money did American tax dollars go to the Wuhan laboratory and for what purpose? And the argument was the uh, statement he goes, we give money to, uh, to grantees all the time and we're expecting the grantees to follow the their grant of what they're doing. But one thing that's bothering me is you're giving money to the Chinese. Like, you're going to trust China? Yeah. So do you think it was China's intent to release the virus? Or do you think it was like, a whoops, sorry? I, I don't have the evidence to say that there was an intent. But what they did do is they covered it up. Yeah. Once they knew that something happened, they shut down all the travel from their own citizens. But the problem, what they did do, and I don't know why they did this, and I don't have the evidence to back it up, but they allowed Chinese nationals to to travel from Wuhan because people need to know there is direct flights from Wuhan to San Diego, Mm. Los Angeles, San Jose, 
Seattle, New York, and some of the major international air, airports on the West East Coast. And they pointed out that Seattle was probably like the ground zero of the this virus. Because if you look at the number of people coming in from this, from Wuhan, just from Los Angeles alone, you get about seven to ten thousand a week. Yeah. And if they've been doing this for three three months without telling anybody. Because remember, they met with Donald Trump, President Trump, in January, President Xi, with, regarding trade. They didn't say anything about that. Yeah, and they were suspecting that maybe as early as November of yep. 2019. Now, there is reports, and I don't know how accurate they are, that in 2017, the State Department said China's doing something with the coronavirus at this lab, and mm-hmm. they're not using the safety protocols. So it's there's a lot of things... That we just don't know, but the World Health Organization did do an investigation on the origin, and they had just a very minuscule part on this theory. But if the World Health Organization was maybe a contributor or even covering it up, they were complicit. There, but when their investigation be skewed to, it's it's like my kid. If my kid messes up in school and I ask him what happens, he's going to try to direct everything he can to be in his favor. No, it is. But even the current uh, Secretary of State. Anthony Blinken said this is, he didn't use this word, but this is a crap report. This is heavily involvement from the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of things we just don't know. And they pressed the uh, spokesman when they talked about the intelligence community looking into this. And they said if they find out that China, it did come from a lab, there's going to be sanctions on China. And he goes, we're going to wait till it comes out. What we do, though, if if, if another country lies to us, we just put sanctions on them? there's only so much. Each country's different. Now, the thing that we talked in the previous podcast during the campaign last year, Joe Biden was emphatic that he said, if I was president, I would demand a team. I would tell President Xi we're sending a team into and they beat up Trump over it. But you got to remember, President Trump stopped all flights coming in from China. But at the time frame, everything he did we got to do the opposite. Remember, when he stopped the flights from China, everybody, including Joe Biden, said he was homophobic, he was xenophobe, he was racist. It was hard for Trump to do things to get people to do it. My question is, and this came up in one news segment, President Biden last year said, I'm going to send a team in. We're going to press President Xi. Okay, he met with President Xi for two hours, Mm -hmm. or at least by a phone conversation. So one of the reporters asked him, did you talk to President Xi about this? No, I haven't mentioned, we didn't bring, that topic didn't come up. So you were emphatic last year, you had the chance to bring it up, and you didn't bring it up. Why? And then they, um, last point, the State Department under Mike Pompeo did it, was doing an investigation looking into the plausibility of this. Room reports of going, we haven't, it's been going back and forth, so I don't know what's fact, what's fiction that Joe Biden State Department shut down that investigation. I don't know how true it is. I don't know what part of that investigation that needs to be looked into. So there's a lot of things we just don't know, but it seems odd. Last year, everybody was, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And now it's, you know, that could have happened. Yeah. I and mean, what are people going to say about the election in a couple of months? <laughs> you never know. But see, you make a good point. More Americans don't trust the federal government. And, and this is of the last few years when you saw what the VA did, the DOJ, the intelligence community, all weaponized mm-hmm. the IRS. And when you don't trust the institutions, it's just like the pandemic. A lot of the states, 
unemployment system was supposed to give out unemployment benefits wasn't prepared for this. Yeah. So if you can't trust the institutions, we got a problem. Yeah. So, John, why don't you go ahead? Actually, I'll first start this. So we are working on the a live stream. That should be out. We're going to get a couple classes, and we're going to give you a little bit more of an intimate live stream for John and I when we're doing some episodes. We're going to be, like, sending out links or even giving you guys a heads up when you can come on when we're live doing these live streams. And then also we are still working on a Patreon. I think there's, like, maybe one or two more things that we are just figuring out. And then once that is, we're going to give you an uncensored show called Ubaldi Reports Declassified. Imagine the stories that we were telling you prior to our topic, except it's going to be a lot more entertaining and interesting. And uh, John, you can go ahead. Why don't you tell them how they can get a hold of us? You can get a hold of us by going to UbaldiReports at gmail.com. That's UbaldiReports at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and go into you just type in Ubaldi Reports. If you go to Facebook, there's Ubaldi Reports group. Leave a message. And just keep letting us know what you think of these podcasts and other podcasts. And we're also in the process of trying to get some pretty high-profile guests. I sent an email message out to the Hoover Institute to get a Lieutenant General, retired Lieutenant General, H.R. McMasters, to talk about America's global role in the world in the 21st century. So he was President Trump's former national security advisor. So mm-hmm. that's some of the things we're trying to get. Yeah. With that being said, everybody, have a great day, and we will talk to you soon. And keep listening to Ubaldi Report. Bye.